I'm Justin Noda. And I'm Kyle Green. And you're listening to Mortgages, eh? A show designed to educate industry professionals and satiate the mortgage nerds. Underwriting, investing, getting the deals done while having a few laughs along the way. Morning, bud. Oh, you beat me to it. Morning, bud. What are we going to talk about today? Credit. Credit. An important piece of the mortgage brokering game. Yep. Before we get going on that, though, I wanted to touch base on something that's been coming up more and more as far as agents inside uh, your brokerage, Origin, and that is broker mental health. Mm -hmm. So I've had lots of agents, and of course, we all know the trigger rate fiasco, um, how everyone kind of went downhill or everyone had clients calling them that the sky was falling and they're, you know, now they're in a negative amortization and it kind of went off the rails. And I actually saw a good clip of people leave the industry. Yeah. And I'm starting to see them come back yep. now, which is great to see because there's some really, really awesome people that were included in that that just took on too much, um, which we've all done in the past. Or, you know, because of a lack of right money coming in, lots of the times people had to be let go, which put more on the people who stayed's plate. Yep. And so what I did this weekend is I reached out to my family. So I reached out to my family and I had lunch with my uh, two cousins, Ryan, Cam, and my uncle Grant. Oh, yeah. And it really just kind of sparked something inside me that I'll call it a recharge. Okay. Um, but I just think it's super important that people look outside of work yeah. in order to not fulfill everything because work is awesome. It fulfills a huge piece of probably all, both of us and people who are listening. But there's a little piece out there that I just want to remind everyone not to lose, not to get lost in, right? To go out there and make those new connections, rekindle those old ones that maybe you haven't, you know, kept in touch with. Go play basketball, right? Go play football, play hockey, go play a Yu-Gi-Oh card game if that's what floats your boat. <laughs> you know what I mean though, right? This keep... Beyblades. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I think it's just super important that we all know that as a community, as a broker community, um, we're all kind of in this, not together, but together, right? We all know what we're dealing with. We all know how hard it is. Um, there's people out there that you can talk to, talk to your broker, talk to another agent, someone who can ref- who can reflect and really tell you uh, maybe a story about how they're feeling the same way, mm-hmm. right? And what they did to get out of that, right? Because besides completely getting out of the industry and going and doing something else, or taking time off, um, which might affect your income, right? I think keeping ahead of it is not a key to solving it completely because it's a very real thing, um, but to help keep it in check a little oh, yeah. bit. What do you do to keep your your head on the game, but you know, out of the game? Well, Justin, I must disagree. As a workaholic, I just feel like very, <laughs> putting your head down and just working harder is the way to do it. Just pull your way through it. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I mean, I, I would say public exercise is really helpful. Uh, if you've had a really tough day at the office, nothing better than just putting on some gangster rap and going to the gym and lifting some heavy shit and putting it back down. There you, you know? go. And things happen, put them down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Got to pump it. Exactly. <laughs> the gym is helpful. And, uh, and of course, I think something that happens a lot is when you're not feeling good, you tend to uh, shut down your social uh, social connections quite a bit, right? Yeah. And so you say, "No, I'm not feeling good. I don't want to. I don't want to go out and see my friends. I'm not going to go out for dinner. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that." But it's actually the moment in time that you need that the most. And so I think it's important to remember that and and try to take your you know pull your your head out of yourself for a moment there and think, you know what? I know I don't want to do this, but I know I'll feel better if I go and do it. 
Yeah. And uh, so I think that the socializing is something that, you know, my, my wife for sure, she's not a, she's not the same as me where I usually get, get energy from being around people. Me too. Like, absolutely. Same. And for her, she's like, oh, I don't know. I like, sometimes it kind of drains my energy, but most of the time, like nine out of 10, she actually comes out of that feeling good and, you know, a skip to her step again. Right. So sometimes you just have to be reminded of the, of the fact that some socializing is good for you when you're not feeling good. Yeah. For me, it's, an, I, I'm a nature guy. So I like whether it's hikes. Um, I like messing around with plants and trees. Um, I like bonsai going, trees. Bonsai, bonsai trees. trees. Yeah, oh, I like yeah. going to what there's a there's a big bonsai community in Vancouver, and I like to go and um, check out the shows because there are bonsai shows out there. <laughs> um, and if you you want to go with me one day, I'm happy to take you, and I will nerd out completely, and I will tell you <laughs> everything about the bonsai and what's wrong with it and what's right with it, and you will have a completely different opinion of me by the time so we're done. So those two listeners out there that <laughs> love bonsai trees. Yeah, I'm your guy. Yeah, Justin's your guy. Yeah. <laughs> so until I hear from you guys, what we're going to do today is talk about credit. Not yeah. bonsai trees, but credit. Yeah. Again, a, a super important piece of the mortgage broker game. Um, something that tells the story of the client. Um, and what we're going to do is go over, of course, what is a credit bureau? Maybe we'll touch base on some accessibility to learn how to read it. It's really hard to teach how to read a credit bureau over a podcast because it's yeah, a very it visual is. thing. Um, and unfortunately, you guys can't see us right now. Well, I guess you can if you're watching the video, but for the most part, people are just going to be listening. Yeah. I also want to go over the five C's of credit. Um, and then, of course, I'm going to tag in you to tell us some interesting stories about maybe how to sell poor credit or bruised credit. Mm -hmm. For the first part, though, I wanted to say that I think credit is the biggest reason why friends and family choose not to use a broker they know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I have been in this game for 17 years, and I think I've done two family members. Yep. And I'm 90% sure it's because they don't want people to see what they spend their money on, right? It's personal. It's private. It may be embarrassing. And we will see it all. Yeah. Right. We will see if you missed a payment 24 months ago or if you're at a 520 beacon score and you're absolutely shit the bed on your credit. Yep. Right. Yep. And I, I think that's a hard thing for people to, to get past. So they just go to their banks. Right. Yep. The bank knows them already. They don't know Kathy across the counter. Right. There's no judgments on there. It's going to be a yes or no, not a yes, no, and a little smirky judgment smile. <laughs> Smirky judgment smile. That's oh what God. they're thinking, right? And we know as professionals, that's not what we're going to do. It's not what we're going to do. But I've yeah, se I've yeah. seen it. I've seen credit a million times. I've seen awesome credit. I've seen horrible credit, right? And it's you know, I mean, I've seen some horrible credit for horrible reasons, right? But I've also seen horrible credit for justifiable reasons, yeah. right? So you see it, you know, top to bottom. But again, I think that's a hard thing for someone to get past. Yeah, I think a lot of people get into the broker business and they think right away that oh my, I'm gonna like my, my dad's an investor and he buys properties you know one one every year and he so he's definitely gonna use me and then I have this person and this person you you think that you have all these people that you're close to that are gonna use you for your mortgage. It's almost harder to get people that know you to use you when you're new, hundred percent, because they know you're new number one. So like I don't know like. I remember partying with this guy when I was 20 years old and him <laughs> blacking out every time, you know, like, do I really want to use this person as my mortgage broker? Yeah. Um, your family still see you when you were, you know, eight years old, not when you're like 30. And as you mentioned too, that privacy of, of information, people don't often like to, uh, to share that. I do think that one of the things that's really important that I've really tried to focus on is creating a culture of, of confidentiality. Mm -hmm. And so 
I've had it before where I'm doing a mortgage for my wife's best friend. And I'm talking to them, we're talking. And then literally um, her her friend will call her up and say, oh yeah, so you know, as, as I'm sure Kyle told you we're buying a new house. And she's like, actually, no, he doesn't tell me anything. And that's really important. Like, I want that. I want people to think and feel that like, you will not, your friends, your family, et cetera, nobody's going to hear about this transaction mm-hmm. unless it comes from your mouth because it's not coming from mine. Yeah, And it's really important to take that hard line and do that because... A lot of people are going to say, well, I don't really care. Oh, whatever. Like, you can do that. I'm like, okay, but I just want to make sure that, like, I'd rather you tell me the line is higher than me, you know, thinking the line is higher and then I'm wrong, yeah. right? So. Yeah, no, exactly. And to to kind of go forward with that point a little bit, as a broker, you want to make sure that your clients are signing some sort of a, like a engagement letter, a client mm-hmm. consent, where you're disclosing exactly what you're going to do, the services you're going to provide, right? There's going to be CASEL, which is the anti, anti-spam legislation, yep. anti-money laundering stuff. And inside there is going to be your client consent to pull credit bureaus. And inside that little blurb is going to say how long you can pull bureaus for how what you're going to do once the bureau is pulled what are you going to do with that information right so inside that it's like uh, me agreeing with you to represent you and talk to you about mortgages but also it's giving the client comfort that you're not going to go blab to you know yep. their mom because they're your cousin yeah right yeah. that they went r9 which is you know collections yeah exactly <laughs> on the car that they told their mom they crashed <laughs> yeah exactly right. <laughs> right that kind of thing yeah so that and i'm also gonna just because again i'm a compliance nerd um timeline oh, yeah. consent is super important with credit bureaus yeah so you want to make sure 100 that your client has signed and you have in hand a credit consent form before you pull that credit bureau yeah because if you pull that, if I'm having a conversation with a client and I say, can I pull your credit bureau? And they say, yep. And then you pull that credit bureau and they don't give you that signed consent for two, three, seven, 12 days. Yep. All of a sudden you're 12 days light on your timeline consent and you pulled that bureau without consent. Yeah. Right. And if a deal goes sideways, and I've seen this before, if a deal goes sideways and the client says, you never had my consent to do it and you only have a verbal, how do you back that up? Yep. It's it's he said, she said, and they will not side on your side. No. Right? BC Consumer Protection, Equifax in general has that inside their agreement with, you know, whether it's DLC or MA or MCC or whoever it is, right? That the timeline consents be kept in check. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it's something that's being more and more monitored. So I think getting your practice, right? This is a good process. This is a good practice. Just make sure that when you have that, right? It's an excellent reason to reach out. It's a little bit annoying if they're not giving it back because as brokers, we want to push that deal forward. We want to get them answers before they go to the bank, right? And the bank, you know, they have a different guidelines. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so you can just pull it at will. Almost. Exactly yeah, right. You know. uh, with no document requests or no yeah. anything, but we're not like that. We need to make sure that we follow suit um, because the regulators are cracking down and then the regulators are coming and knocking. Yeah. So we want to make sure that we're all safe. You're all safe. And a shout out to all the DI and compliance officers out there for keeping everybody safe. Shout out to all five of you. Yeah, Woo! that's right. We have a little, <laughs> we have a little super secret group. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that was, <laughs> Ah, such a nerd, Justin, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, you got your Smith maneuver. Oh, yeah. And I got compliance. I got my rates and bonds and all that. Exactly. Yeah, I, I got my Form 10s and my fixed <laughs> form credit 10s, and FinTrack. <laughs> your nerdiness is way more boring, though. It's, it's so boring, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so let's talk about the providers. So the main two providers inside the broker channel are Equifax. And I'd probably say 
the heavy favorite is Equifax oh, yeah. for being used. Like I've seen, you know, it's probably a, like a 90-10 split. Yeah. Um, do you use TransUnion for, for much? Uh, a little bit. And I'll talk a little bit about why we use TransUnion, but it's it's rare. Yeah. Not a lot of lenders use it. Yeah. And I know there's some different things that could show up on different bureaus, but other than that, I'll let you talk about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do we pull credit bureaus, right? We want to pull credit bureaus because we need to see what debts the client is holding, um, what the payments are, the liabilities are that are showing up, um, because all those need to be included in the mortgage application numbers, and how they handle credit right, is a, is a big thing, right? And I'll tell you one thing, some credit is better than no credit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's some people out there that are, you know, hell-bent against having a credit card because they think, I'm, you know, it's not going to do anything for me. I, I'm, I'm an all-cash kind of guy. Yeah. But what we have to do as brokers is we have to say, you know, cl- or lenders want to see a history. They want to sh- see how you can handle payments, yeah. how you can handle credit. So they want to see that you know, that credit card with a $1,000 limit that's been paid back for two years, right? If they come back and it's called, is it, uh, like a beacon reject? The big yeah. the, the yeah. big R, right, on the You've front? You've been rejected. Exactly. And I always have to follow that up with, it's not as bad as you think. Yeah. It just means you don't have any credit at all. Yeah. Right? And we're going to touch base on a couple of things inside, uh, inside that. What potential solutions mm-hmm. that can be used um, when there is no credit that's showing up. Yep. But again, we want to make sure that Everything all lines up. So it's not just about the credit in question. You're going to have your beacon score, of course, which tells you what your credit score is. I think it goes from five to nine or a little bit under. What's the minimum? I think it's 400. Is it? Um, yeah, I think it's been done. I mean, I'm trying to remember if I've even seen anybody below 400, but I think it's 400 to 900. Yeah, exactly. So that's going to tell a big story right there, right? How you missed your payments, if you've gone into collections, if you missed a month, how many months, right? There's a bunch of stuff inside there, but it's also, it's a great KYC right? Which is know your client again, right? You're going to be able to go in and after you've done your application and they tell you they live at ABC 123 Sesame Street, you can go in, thanks. You can (laughs) go in there and see exactly, right? All of a sudden now those addresses don't match up, Yeah. right? So what is this address? This address wasn't even on there, right? Mm -hmm. So where did it come from? This says that you lived in Minnesota a year and a half ago, but you never told me that in the application, right? If you don't catch those things, the lender is going to catch those things. Yeah, exactly. And they're going to ask for confirmation if you own it, why you lived in it, what you did in the States. If you were in the States, did you file taxes? It opens a whole door, mm-hmm. right? And all of a sudden, right, again, knowing what questions to ask and where to look on a credit bureau is going to help you facilitate a much smoother transaction down the road, especially after you submit. Big time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. On that note too, I wanted to talk about, you know, looking at the credit bureau and some of the things that you're looking for. Obviously, you're looking for the score, some of the other things I really like to look for, though, is inquiries. So who else have they spoken to recently? Nice. You know, if you, you pull the credit and two days before, they talk to RBC. So, client, how did your conversation with RBC go? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you know? So it gives you some information about where they've been. Maybe also there's another poll with another mortgage broker a, a month ago or two weeks ago, mm-hmm. right? I noticed you spoke to so-and-so. How did that conversation go? And I often like to ask if they have been shopping, you know, why are you, why are we talking right now? Because if you ask that question, maybe they didn't get qualified. Okay, better or worse. Well, I'm just wanting to shop it around. You know, uh, if this is another mortgage broker, then I often just tell them, look, it's my policy. I don't work with clients that are working with more than one broker. So why are we talking? You know, because we're all talking to the same lenders anyways. It's not like one broker is going to get a 
much of a better rate. You know, there are little little nuances where some lenders will give you 0.05 or 0.1% better if you're a high volume broker, but for the most part, it's all the same. Yep. Uh, so it's just an understanding of like, why are you using, or why are you talking to me if you're talking to somebody else and make it pretty strict. If you have another, if you're talking to another broker, then, you know, you really don't really, really want to be taking it on, frankly, yeah. you know. You do want to look at this, the standard stuff. So payment history, we don't have a, a credit bureau in front of us right now, but it just says one 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 one. At least that's what you're hoping for. Yeah, <laughs> and it says one 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 three three two 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 one 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 three 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 three. You nope. know, yeah, no questions. Not good. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so you do have you know R stands for revolving, and that means that it's a uh, credit card or line of credit where the amount revolves. I stands for installment loan, so you'll see those as well, uh, where the uh, the payments are a set static amount, and uh, you're trying to, uh, to decipher you know what their payment history is on there, and in general. I like to go over the credit score with the customer and let them know what we're looking at. You know, your score is this. This is what it means. You either, yeah, your your score is 805. Like, oh, well, why is it nine, not 900 is often why they I come know. back, right? Yeah. It's like, look, to be completely frank with you, if you're over 740, which is like the highest required score for the most difficult program, the lenders don't care if you've you, if you're at 800 or 900. It really doesn't matter as long as you've hit the uh, you know cleared that hurdle, so to speak. And then you get to avoid a whole like micro dissecting every little detail of their credit bureau to see why it's higher. You just say, look, you've, you're past the hurdle. Don't worry about it. You're good. Keep doing what you're doing, and you'll be fine. Yep. You know, looking at uh, at what kind of credit they have, and if generally speaking, if they're not if they don't have good credit, then you do need to give them some advice on why their credit isn't great. So. Well, I've been noticing that if you're missing some payments, I've noticed that you're over limit on this card. Check to see it's it's easy to miss, but you see all those you know one 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 ones. Um, but you sometimes will miss what the current status of the card is. Right? It might actually be currently in R two, and that's on the right hand side of the of the credit information. So you do, do need to watch out for that. Um, look at the number of pieces of credit that they have. Always check to see, do they have any other mortgages reporting on the credit bureau? Because maybe they did or did not disclose that information. Make sure that the numbers match up. And another thing that gets uh, frequently missed is uh, a, a f- potential fraud warning. So there lost, might be a lost or stolen wallet or ID right tagged at the in bottom. there. It's always at the bottom. Very and bottom. it's so easy to miss it because <laughs> it's at the bottom, right? Yeah. And then you go through the deal, you send it in, you've got everything going, and all of a sudden the bank's like... And the lenders always look at like, look at you like you're an idiot. Oh, and it's like... Um, so there's a fraud warning here. I don't know why you didn't like let me know initially. Like, <laughs> so it's yeah, really easy to miss that. But you don't want to look like an idiot in front of your lender. So make sure that you address that. And then what you're trying to do is it's it's a couple of things that I'm trying to do here. Number one, if I can find opportunities where you let the client know like you're not perfect, your credit score is six seventy, which is probably sufficient for most lenders. But you don't, we can't shop everybody. So right away you're lowering the expectations. And I think that's an important thing because you don't want a client walking in and strutting their stuff like they're going to qualify with everybody and the rates that they saw online is what they're getting. Um, you need to make sure that you uh, dial that back and, and set expectations and use it as an opportunity to coach them a little bit on how they can improve their credit as well. And uh, and obviously, just making sure that everything matches up to what your uh, what your your application says, right? So um, that's that's important. And then obviously, when you're looking at the credit score itself, now, this has obviously changed over over time, uh, but in general, you know, six eighty plus is the, probably the the ideal target you usually tell a client. Yeah. You know, you want to be a six eighty or higher usually for most programs. You can usually get a lending at six fifty or even six twenty and above. 
you know, it wasn't long ago that you could even get sub 600s done with A-lenders. And in some cases you still can, and I'll teach teach uh, you guys some tricks in a few minutes here about that. But, but in general, you know, 650 plus is usually what lenders like to see for A-lending side. And then if it's under 650, then it may end up becoming a B deal, depending on why it's at 650 or lower. And B deals uh, for a minimum, and again, depending on the on the B lender, they actually have tiers, yep. right? That could your interest rate is going to be directly affected by your credit score. So a five twenty to five fifty is going to get this rate. A five fifty to five eighty is going to get this rate. Yep. Right. So again, knowing your lenders is super important when when dissecting a credit bureau, especially if you're not just you know swinging for the A fences and you have to start going on that B side. Yeah. Because um, not all B lenders, and correct me if I'm wrong, not all B lenders approach it in a tiered manner. Yeah, not all of them do, but yeah. a lot of them do. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's something to look at. Also on the A-Lender side, depending on what product you're looking for, the credit requirements can change. Like the Manulife, you know, SBO program requires a pretty high credit score. I think 720 or 740. I think 720. Some lenders say, well, we'll give you 80% loan to value in a rental if your credit score is at 720 or 740. But if it's lower than that, then it's got to be at 75% loan to value maximum. It's probably the the biggest spot is 680 and above gets you 39.44 debt servicing ratios with the insured mortgages. Yep. And if it's below that threshold, then it's 39 or 35.42. And so that GDS getting cut from 39 to 35 is a huge jump down. It is. And huge. that's often a major issue to get clients qualified. So. Yeah. And just so everyone knows, Kyle stole my next point. So Oops. I'm just going to jump on to something else. Sorry, bud. So what I'm thinking is that credit bureaus, while they are, you know, a necessary requirement, of course, they're also an excellent opportunity to add some value, yep. right? Add some value and build a relationship with the client. Because now, as opposed to at the start, when I said, lots of the times a credit bureau is the reason why someone won't use you, that can also be on the flip side. Whereas if you've already seen somebody's credit and help them through a situation or help them get their credit up to a point where they can purchase a house, that's powerful. It is. Right? They, oh, come, yeah. they come back. Now they're loyal. You're their mortgage guy. They send you their friends, their friends' friends, your moms, right? All that kind of stuff. And that's how you kind of start to build. Um, so knowing credit, yes. Knowing your lenders is awesome. Knowing your rates is great. But knowing how they can fix credit, learning the difference between a hard pull and a soft pull, mm-hmm. right? What's going to hit the credit? What's not going to hit the credit? I think those type of things are just as important. And it's another piece of the brokering game that doesn't get a lot of attention, Right, you kind of you pull the credit, and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, your score sucks. <laughs> Here's what I can give you, right? As opposed yeah. to, well, your score sucks now, and I can see that it's because you know, did you get divorced? Oh, well, so you, that's what happened then. So yep. you know, it was at six ninety, and now it's at five forty. Yep. Right. So how do we get it back up to six ninety, or at least that's six twenty, where maybe an A lender will consider? That's right? right. Looks like we need to pay off this. We can do that. Maybe we have a little down payment talk where you can, you know, and now we're paying off that collections that's in there. So, you know, you're setting up the um, setting up the future for maybe not the deal that you're going to get right in this second. Yep. Um, but, you know, maybe the six deals that you're going to get in the future because you provided them a full range of service. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And I've had some clients that reach out to me like <laughs> literally 10 years later, like, do you remember me? Uh, you you met with me at the Starbucks. I mean, back when I used to meet with anybody. Now, now I'm like, Ugh. let's do a phone call first. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, you met me at the Starbucks. You taught me how to improve my credit. I've improved it now. I'd uh, and now I want to buy a home. And um, there's a lot of value in helping people kind of repair the credit. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how the uh, credit bureau score is determined because this comes up quite a bit. Yeah, great. And and brokers often don't know like what are the functions and, and what makes up that difference. And so in general, most of it is payment history. 
And so you can't see this, but we're looking at a, a little sheet here that uh, that Equifax does. And, and I've actually gone to Equifax myself to pull out this information to put into my first-time homebuyer packages, et cetera. But it's a nice little um, little snippet that you can use. And it talks about what are the you know major components to determining a credit bureau score. So to determine a credit score, about 35% of the credit score is determined by the payment history. So are you making your payments on time? How much of a payment are you making? Are you making the full payment every time? Or is it just a partial payment every time? But 30% of the credit is determined based off of the the limits and the balances. So are you borrowing going right up to the balance uh, or the limit every single month? Or are you borrowing 50% of your available limit, 25% available limit, etc.? So we actually get this question a lot, which is, you know, I, I got offered an increase on my credit limit, my credit card. Should I should I bump it up? And and the question often is, well, are you if you're bumping up against the top end limit every single month, then you probably should just sign the piece of paper or or accept the credit limit increase because that will actually improve your credit. So having access to more credit doesn't usually hurt your credit score. It's it's whether you're actually bumping up against that limit every single month that does. Of course, if you're the type of person that if you have a higher limit, you're going to spend that and then you're going to be bumping up against the new higher limit, then that's going to hurt your credit. <laughs> so if you uh, really can't help yourself and you really like Gucci shoes, then don't get the credit limit increased. So that would be about 30% of your overall credit score determining uh, determination. Um, the types of credit is another 15%. So the it does help if you have a mortgage reporting on your credit bureau that is in good standing. Other installment loans are, are always helpful. And uh, revolving is is a little less important um, than installment loans. And uh, so it they do usually look at what type of credit you have that's reporting. Uh, a cell phone bill, for instance, does report, but it's usually not as relevant or important. And also, I found that if you are going behind and missing payments on uh, cell phone bills, it seems to have a lower negative impact on your credit. And I think that that's something that has changed in the last couple of years, probably because there seems to be a lot of uh, disputes when it comes to cell phone bills providers. Yep. How come I had, you know, the, my bill was $300 while well, I'm not paying and then now somebody's going behind and they've been pristine forever and now all of a sudden a cell phone bill is pulling their credit from being good to being bad. There's a, about 10% that is looking at uh, how much of your credit is new credit. And so you often find that people uh, that have a lot of new credit and they're adding a lot of credit in a very short uh, short period of time, there's some concern over that. They like to see lo- longevity. And that would be about the final point, which is the length of credit history. So if you've had credit for 30 years or 40 years and it's been in good standing, then that's about 5% or so of your overall credit uh, determination. So the lenders are, uh, and the the uh, credit score is is basically reflective mostly of the payment history and your balances compared to your limits, and then the different providers do look at uh, look at things a little bit differently, uh, depending on the balances or the limits. So credit credit score uh, itself is an important uh, component, Justin. But I do want to talk about the five C's of credit. Yep. And what the five C's of credit are, uh, because the credit score itself and the payments are part of it. But a lot of people have heard of the five C's of credit. So maybe we can just talk a little bit about that and go into some detail. So the first one is capacity. And so the capacity is, is pretty straightforward. It's just what the debt servicing ratios are. Your capacity to be able to pay these payments. You know, looking at... Uh, and, and really the easiest way to talk about what capacity means is just to say, what's the debt service ratio? That's really what it comes down to. What's the capacity to be able to pay these payments? Yep. The next one that I would talk about is character. Character is just the overall... And so I guess... A lot of the, these five C's of credit are really like specific and dialed in, but character, we kind of zoom out a little bit and just say, well, who is this person? I would say character probably was more important 
back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, I mean, in the 19, early 1900s, right, you, you have a farm and you need to go to the local bank in 1928 and sure. uh, you need to get a loan. Your character is is probably the, the biggest thing that they look at, right? Yeah. Um, sure, can you pay it back and can you do this? But but is your character, are you the type of person that's going to pay it back? Is your family history good? You know, like, oh, your your dad was a was a charlatan. <laughs> so we're not going to lend you money because your family character is not good. So I think that that's, it's harder and less important to look at today. But character can be determined by very quick Google search. And a lot of brokers don't do that. And the lenders often are, especially yep. in private lending. Character is a lot more important all of a sudden in private lending uh, types of loans. And so you do need to be prepared and you should be Googling your clients to see, is there any th- information that I can find out about their character online? But overall, it's not as black and white. And so we don't focus on character nearly as much, so um, but lenders will look at that. In the character, I know that's a, like a personal character as well, but from the credit bureau standpoint, will they also look at like your missed payments and stuff? I know that's probably going to be included in one of the other five C's of credit. Yeah, But the, that's going to be a big reflection of your character in order to make make your payments, right? Have you made your payments? What type of person are you? Have you already hosed over Simply Financial on a line of credit that they gave you three years ago? Totally, yeah. And that's something to look at. If, if, you, if you have had uh, issues with credit, try not to take the client back to the same lender or <laughs> bank that they already screwed over yep. in the past because they're probably not going to say yes and you're probably wasting your time. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And maybe the client doesn't even want to go there too. Maybe the client feels like the bank wronged them. And so you're probably not, it's probably just better to avoid them and go to a different lender altogether. Yeah. So yeah, credit is, is or character is more of a, a high level view of all of these little nuances and details. It's not really as much about the specifics, um, but they would say, well, what is the overall credit character of the credit? Did they just miss payments here and there? Are they vindictive of like one one or two banks where they say, screw you or screw you and not making the payments, you know? Yeah, so character is something that's a little bit harder to more clearly define, especially in our world. Character doesn't come up a lot, but it does come up a bit more in private lending. And so make sure you Google search your clients, especially if it's a private deal. They're going to be searching up that client and saying, hmm, uh, what happened eight years ago? You know? So they are receptive to a story. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But you want to get ahead of it. If you Absolutely. if you are trying to if you're in the back heels all of a sudden trying to uh, address a story that came up in Google, yeah, good luck. It's yeah. it's a lot harder to get the lender to come around. If you can say and get ahead of it, like, hey, by the way, not if, but when you Google search the person, this is going to come up, and here's the explanation. Yeah, right? I had one come up that he was a convicted drug felon. Yep, I've had that before too. When yep. like like in the news, convicted for like a huge stash that they found at his house. 10 years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that that led down a path. <laughs> but again, path, it, yeah. it, it was like, it was completely Google searchable. Yeah. Right? So they just Googled, you know, Mary Smith. And it was the first thing that came up. Yep. So again, if we hadn't Googled that and been able to figure out what the story was ahead of it, we couldn't stay ahead of it. So. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's going to come up. And in general, this kind of stuff is going to come up. Yep. Lenders going to find it. Right? Exactly right. Capital, pretty straightforward, but uh, but capital is just how much cash do you have? How much equity do you have? Uh, are you putting 5% down or 20% down or 80% down, right? Uh, do you have liquid investments and assets on top of your uh, down payment? And so really just trying to make sure that you're in a positive position um, and making sure that you have enough capital for a rainy day, rainy month, rainy year, you yep. know? So yep. fallback? Fallback, yeah. That's yep. the term that they often like to use, fallback. Uh, credit, uh, we've already talked about the specifics about credit and and what your beacon score or credit score is. So we don't have to talk a lot about that, but but they're looking at you know, how do you manage your credit and what does that look like? 
And then the last one, uh, the last five of the five C's is collateral. So what are you pledging? Are you putting up property? Uh, are there other assets that are being held as collateral in this case? And so some of the things that they're looking at is how marketable is the property you're you're getting financing on? How much money you're putting down? And uh, and how how easy would it be for the lender to foreclose on this property and just get get out, parachute out and, and get their money back, right? The lenders aren't interested in holding and owning real estate for an extended period of time. You know, I've, I've done it before where I get an appraisal on a property and it's like the average days on the market in this town of 500 people is like literally 402 days. I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> Good luck getting a lender who wants to finance a property where it takes on average, on average, yeah. a year to sell. That means the person's not paying payments for that long. They're not uh, paying property taxes for that long. Uh, the the bank is having their money at risk for that much longer. You know, the collateral is uh, is a really important piece of the puzzle for yeah. sure. And it's an interesting lead into uh, one of the topics that's not coming up today, but down the road. I think we're going to do something on unique properties. So oh, yeah. financing in uh, inside an ALR, yep. financing um, grow houses, yep. um, grow ops, right? That kind of thing, uh, which come with their own unique set of of rules and guidelines and concerns um, that are usually all tied to this exact C, which is collateral, right? The yep. property. Why is it? Why is it the way it is? And how can we, you know, whether it's an increased down payment or you know whatever else needs to happen to make the deal work? And so we'll be diving into a bunch of uh, examples um, and then suggestions and clarifications on how to get those done. Um, but that'll be another episode. So yeah. I think I'm looking forward to that one. That's anytime you get a chance to not talk about just those cookie cutter A deals, right? Where it's, you know, you can lean on someone who's been in this industry for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years um, and has seen all the weirdness that could possibly be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like to, to lean into those conversations just because it's, it, it kind of gets the juices flowing again. Oh yeah, where it gets out, It gets out of the norm and you get, you know, just thinking about different things in different ways. Yeah, totally. And as I'm talking here too, I, I feel like we could probably show a uh, a chart or something like that that shows the five C's and with A lending, B lending, and private lending and how the how important the five C's are to each of those each of those lenders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because as I'm looking at here as an example, collateral on the A lender side, it's a little bit easier to get that small town property financed if all of the other four C's are really good, you know? Whereas if you're looking at a, a B lender or a private lender, they'll look less at credit. It's not as important that the credit is pristine but they're going to be more focused on the collateral. You know, they they tend to just assume that they're going to be uh, a, there's going to be a default on this property and assume that they're going to be taking over the home. Yep. So what are we taking over? What are we lending on and how much are we lending on it, right? And so I think that that's kind of something that, that helps with your when you're thinking about this is understanding with all those 5 Cs where are the levers because sometimes you'll find that if you can't get it done with A you skip right through being right over into private, if especially if the property collateral isn't sufficient. Yes. You know? Yeah. And one of the things that you want to do, of course, is if there's a weakness on one of these Cs, you want to try to mitigate it with some of the other things, right? I know that this C is not very good, but the, this C is very, very good. And try to always be mitigating and balancing it out to make sure that the the lender feels comfortable. You know, Maybe the debt servicing is not very good, but they've got a huge amount of liquid assets. That's a really great way to mitigate Yes, I know that the money coming in every month is not high, but they've already got it socked up in their bank accounts, you know? And that's a good way of mitigating, you know, credit, or I should say income and capital. Those are two things that uh, that can kind of balance each other out. If one is higher than the other, then then you can use that higher one to mitigate the lower one. Yeah, and again, submission notes. Yep. 
right? This is the place where you would put all this information, right? When you're collecting it from the client and they're telling you all these stories and you're writing it down, they're not writing it down for you, right? You're writing it down so you can pitch this to the lender that you're approaching to make sure that you are mitigating the shortfalls inside this client's portfolio um, or their history, right? Like you said, they're, they're short on this and this, but this, this, and this are fantastic, yep. right? As opposed to not including anything and just saying, great client, great credit, Salaried income, please approve. Oh my God, I hate the please approve. Please approve. I, yeah. I see that please all decline. the time. I know. That's what, <laughs> what? Like seriously, why do you put please approve? I, don't, you, I know. You might as well just say please don't decline. I don't know. It's just just little prayer hands at the end. That's yeah, all exactly. instead of please approve. Please. I really need the money. Yeah. That's <laughs> 2023 sucks. Exactly. I really need the money. Um, so I know we touched on Equifax and TransUnion a little bit. Yep. Um, but what I really wanted to do is uh, is use the last bit of time we had just to kind of prick your brains on how to sell bruised credit to a lender. Yeah. Right. I know that there is uh, a lot of suggestions that people would have, um, and we've kind of talked about a little bit inside those the five C's. But if you have any examples that you can think of um, or points that you'd want to bring up, I th- oh, I do. Yeah, I, I'm sure oh, you. I do. I'm sure you. I I came prepared, Justin. I know. So you did. Uh, knew, knowing that we're going to talk about credit, I wanted to talk a little bit about how to sell bad credit yep. situation to a lender. Uh, so I actually went into a deal that uh, that I funded just a few months ago. And I looked at, I remember that they had a quite a story regarding the credit. They had a lot of lates, et cetera. However, they had recovered their credit fairly recently. And so we wanted to be able to position this and, and kind of sell the story. One of the important things is when you are going through the credit score with the client, trying to make sure that you, you look at why the credit is bad. And ideally what you're, you're hoping to do is be able to show that it was isolated to a specific period of time and it was due to some kind of life event like divorce, failed business, health issue, and that it was in the past and why it won't happen again. So you're trying to just say like, yes, this happened, but look, it was all within this one year. And guess what happened? They got divorced and here's the separation agreement. And look, the timelines are matching up, right? And you can see that before this event and after this event, the credit had been clean. If you can try to isolate it to a specific event that had occurred and show that it's in the past and it forever will be in the past yep. and will not come up again. Uh, that's really what you're trying to uh, to do. So I'm just going to read, go through the notes that we actually sent over to a lender yeah, um, to uh, to talk about this because there's a couple of points that uh, that I think were important. I'm not going to uh, spe- specifically use the client's names, so I'll just use D and C for the for the client names. Okay. So the long story is that prior to the financial crisis, D and C used to earn about $360,000 a year. Uh, D was working with Investors Group as a financial planner, and then the crash happened and his income dropped substantially. Uh, C is a CPA and was still doing okay during this time, but then she had a mental health issue that came up around this moment. Uh, she had some issues re- uh, resurfaced regarding some things that happened within, uh, in her past uh, at the same time that she had an ag- extremely aggressive and angry boss, and she had a bit of a meltdown. Now, I know this is going really deep into things, by the way, but I'm trying to be as specific as possible and humanize the experience a little bit. Yeah. She had to leave her job in 2010 and did not return to working for two full years. So during this time, Dee was struggling to make money as a financial planner because of the subprime crisis and the worldwide financial crisis. And he also had to take care of the young children. So he had to quit his job to support the family. He started working again around late 2012. Uh, he had to think, rethink what kind of career he wanted, um, and it was only making $65,000 a year at this time. And when C came back, she decided that she wanted to become self-employed and dip, uh, dipped her toes in the water slowly to reestablish. And so her credit or her income was minimal to start. 
So the primary issue here was a lifestyle accustomed to earning $300,000 a year dipped to little to no income for one to one and a half years, and then only grew back up to $65,000, and then slowly grew up from there. During this time period, they used their savings, which included withdrawing funds from their RRSPs. This drawout caused a taxable income which they could not afford to pay. Over the next six years, from 2012 to 2016 or 2018, they continued to try to make it work and pay out the debts, but they eventually caved and sought help via a consumer proposal. Um, this is a difficult decision, especially because for C, being an accountant by trade, you know, it, it definitely affected her quite a bit. In hindsight, they should have done the proposal earlier, but they were really trying to hang on and they didn't want to get to a point where they were just letting go of their debt obligations. You know, so I'm trying to paint a picture that and pointing to the character here, right? The story often goes into character a little bit to say like, look, they really didn't want to go down this path. They really wanted to find a way of paying back, back the debts, but they just, they ended up having to go through the proposal eventually. The consumer proposal event, uh, involves some of the CRA debt as well as RBC and HSBC. Uh, no property was included in the CP. Uh, that's important, by the way. If property is included, really hard because you're trying to get a new mortgage. Yep. If they had already gone through and defaulted and a uh, mortgage was included in a bankruptcy or consumer proposal, then good luck. And then the uh, I mentioned that they sold their home to cover off some of their other debts. So fast forward, they now each have two established trade lines with clean monthly payments, solid incomes, and are back on their feet. Their credit issues stemmed from primarily two events, the financial crisis and uh, C's health, both of which are in the rearview mirror. The clients are looking for a new banking relationship, which is really hard to get after the consumer proposal. And they're happy to have, I'm going to leave the lender's name blank here, uh, this bank wrapping their arms around the client. They should be able, uh, the, the bank should be able to cross-sell a lot of financial products to help them reestablish themselves at this time. Please approve. Please approve. <laughs> Pray hands. And this was in your submission notes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. A lot of, a lot of things to go over here, but it's, it's going back to all of the little things that I talked about. You know, it was stemmed to two specific isolated events that came up. Um, that really caused the issue. Yes, it seemed like it dragged on over a long period of time, but it was two separate life events that happened. And then they were never able to recover from those life events. And that's why the credit history is poor over such a long period of time. Yep. Uh, because it was life events that came up, came up, and then they were just hanging on by like one finger, just bar barely able to make like minimum payments, et cetera. But they should have just gone through this process much earlier. But because of their character, they didn't want to just have their debts forgiven. They wanted to find a way of paying it back, but weren't able to do that. So really trying to address all of those five C's of credit in, in the notes. And so what happened? Well, the first bank still declined it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm invested in DNC now. I yeah, I know, right? Ends. The first lender I tried to send it to is a credit union and they actually declined the deal. And I, I really thought that trying to position it so that the the bank would be able to wrap their arms around the client yep. and say this is they're looking for a new full banking relationship at this point and they didn't end up doing the deal. I will say it actually came down to something else. There was something not about the credit actually that made them think of maybe they didn't want to do it. Um, they were working for a company that did real estate development and the property that they had purchased uh, and they were financing looked like it could be a kind of a development style property. So I think that's that's actually the reason that the bank or the credit union pulled out of the deal. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't credit. I think we actually had the credit thing solved. It was actually something completely separate that kind of came out of left field where the banks just said, yeah, I think they're going to actually develop and bulldoze this home in the future and we don't want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So different. But I think we had them otherwise. I think mm -hmm. the credit situation story, I think was sufficient to uh, to get them on board. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so key takeaway is just sell it. This is a long write-up, but I think that that was really important to, to sell it and give the full picture of exactly what happened. The number of times that I see deal notes that are way shorter than this, that should be much longer. Yeah, You got to dive into it. And I usually dive into like, okay, so I see some late payments in this time period and I see them in this time period. What happened here and here? Absolutely. Right? And, and really just get really specific with it. And then you get ahead of the curve. The lender's going to ask anyways. And if you don't address it up front, then the lender just thinks that you're making up bullshit now, to be honest. That's really what they think about. Yeah. Yeah, they think, oh, okay, the broker's just making up some bullshit to get the deal done. Ask the questions up front get ahead of it, and then they're less likely to uh, to just tell you no. Yep, I agree. Yep. Great. All right. On cool. to the favorite one. Ooh, you know. Back, back in, in the, the day. day. <laughs> so I remember back in the day when the minimum credit score for an insured mortgage was like 580. And we we're talking about at, at our, our last podcast about as, you know down payment. So this was back in 2007. You could do zero down. Yep. 40-year amortization. Ooh. Credit score was like 582 or something like that. Oh man, I miss it. And guess what else? There's what? one more. There's one more. Stated income. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy makes $200,000 a year. Please approve. Pray hands. There you go. Approved. Yeah. You go. <laughs> Wait, this works? It works. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it was it was doable. I mean, it's insane because nowadays with the credit score of a nurse six, 650, these deals are really, really tough and still doable. But um, but yeah, it was, it was uh it was a deal that uh, that was actually doable. Yeah. So couldn't believe it. You know what, Justin? I had one other thing I wanted to talk about because I think this is relevant and uh, we did it back in the day before before we did it. And I just thought about this now. But the difference between Equifax and TransUnion. So Equifax, you know, 90% of lenders use that or yep. primarily use that and about 10% use TransUnion. My memory is jogged because I was talking about the 580 credit score. I have recently done deals with 580 credit scores for insured mortgages or even uninsured mortgages. And the, the way that I was able to do it is if you look at the Equifax report you've got in front of you and you look at why the score is lower, Equifax does lean a little bit more on payment history and collections if the collections are there. Whereas TransUnion leans a little bit more on the overall credit utilization and how much overall credit is owed. And so if you have a client that has a, a bad Equifax score and is mostly because of a bunch of lates and collections, but they don't owe a lot of money, then you might actually find that TransUnion scores higher. And uh, a bank like Scotiabank, for instance, they use a, a, a letter grade system based off of mostly TransUnion and some of their own internal system, uh, processes. But I actually was able to get a client uh, approved with like a 580-something beacon score for 5% down insured deal. Because even the insurer is just going to, you know, defer to the uh, to the bank's uh, decision on whether they want to lend to this client or not. And the reason for that is that the client's rating was a C with Scotia, so the TransUnion score must have been over six hundred somewhere, you know, six fifty or something like that. Yeah. And so it's important to keep in mind that there are some differences between Equifax and TransUnion. And the easiest way to understand that is just that Equifax is a bit more payment history related. Are there collections? Are you missing payments? And then TransUnion is a bit more you know, what's the overall outstanding balance and uh, and credit limit and whether you're heavily utilizing that uh, that credit. So just keep that in mind. And what do you feel the appetite is for lenders to receive bureaus from TransUnion when they're usually receiving Equifax? Some, you can ask them. Some of the lenders are are open to using the, looking at a TransUnion and an Equifax and trying to average it out. So just keep that in mind. I couldn't tell you which lenders it is. I, th- I feel like maybe MCAP might be one of the lenders, but... Envision, I, I want to say as well. Probably, yeah, I would expect. Um, so there's a few lenders out there. So just, 
it's it's hard to keep on track of like which lenders will do it. But if you're if you have a credit score that's too low, then just ask the BDM or ask the underwriter if they would consider taking a transunion and averaging it. Especially if you notice that the reason the Equifax is low is because of uh, collections and and late payments, but they have low outstanding balances and and uh, and whatnot. Then a transunion is probably going to come in higher. BDMs are there to help and questions lead to answers. Exactly. I love it. Thanks for talking to me about credit, eh? Yeah, exactly. All right. Thanks so much. Later, bud. Bye. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to sit with us. Hopefully you're able to take a couple things from today's episode, implement it into your everyday and improve in the areas you need to. For direct interaction with us, please join the conversation through our Facebook community. Check the link in the show notes and happy brokering. 